Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Science Under Scrutiny. In this episode and the next, we'll be delving into two cases of pathological science. For those of you who don't know, pathological science essentially refers to scientific research that appears to be legitimate, but is in fact driven by flawed methodologies, self-deception, and internal biases. In pathological science, researchers often convince themselves of the validity of their claims despite the lack of robust evidence or the presence of contradictory data. I'm your host, Jack Flynn, and in today's episode, we'll be covering what is perhaps the most famous case of pathological science, the polywater controversy of the late 1960s. Join me as I uncover the causes of the polywater myth and its enduring effects on science today. Let's begin today's episode with a high-level overview of pathological science. The three key characteristics of pathological science include the following. First is confirmation bias, where researchers tend to favor data that supports their desired outcomes whilst ignoring or downplaying evidence that contradicts their beliefs. The second is overinterpretation of results, when researchers may extrapolate and exaggerate the significance of their findings beyond what the data actually supports. Finally, there is infallibly an issue with reproducibility, as experimental results in pathological science often cannot be consistently replicated by other scientists, suggesting that the original findings were influenced by uncontrolled variables. Today's example of pathological science will be polywater. Polywater, short for polymerized water, was a hypothetical new state of matter of water that was widespread in the scientific literature in the 1960s. To understand polywater, let's first review the structure of liquid water. Liquid water is comprised of countless water molecules, each of which consists of an oxygen atom and two hydrogen atoms, which all share electrons in a covalent bond. However, the oxygen atom is significantly more electronegative than the hydrogen atom which ultimately means that it is going to attract the hydrogen's electrons much more than the hydrogen atoms will attract oxygen's electrons, which will also mean that the oxygen end of a water molecule will be very negative and the hydrogen end very positive. This is ultimately what drives the formations of hydrogen bonds, short-lived bonds between positive and negative heads of water molecules, which determine the viscosity and unique solubility of water. Polywater, according to its proponents, essentially consisted of water molecules permanently attached to one another in hydrogen bonds in long chains called polymers, which would then lead to new properties of water such as a higher boiling and lower freezing point and greater viscosity. It would also theoretically be a more stable form of water, meaning that any water polywater came into contact with would invariably convert to polywater as well. It's important to note that these properties of water can be significantly altered by contamination of pure water by other molecules. And, as we'll see later, this is exactly what happened with polywater. That's it for context. Now, let's begin to dive into the discovery of polywater and the scientific world's initial reaction. In the early 1960s, Nikolai Fedyakin, a Soviet researcher working in a lab in southern Russia, dedicated himself to a rather obscure area of research, which was water and its properties. Working in Kostroma, an old city on the Volga River, Fedyakin diligently studied water, while other Russian scientists focused on more high-profile endeavors such as space exploration. Soon, however, Fedyakin was about to hit the scientific jackpot. 
Fedyakin's investigations of water were based on a characteristic observed by Lord Kelvin, a British scientist in the 19th century. Kelvin noticed that water droplets evaporated faster than water in a bowl, and that water in a glass tube evaporated even more slowly. Fedyakin sought to test what caused this behavior by experimenting with purified water in different containers. In one experiment, he sealed condensed water vapor into a tiny glass tube and observed an unusual phenomenon. Under the microscope, the liquid column appeared to be divided into two parts, suggesting the formation of two distinct substances from the same diluted water. Emboldened by these findings, Fedyakin published his results, hoping for wider scientific recognition. While most scientists immediately dismissed his results, Boris Deryagin, another renowned Soviet scientist at the Institute of Physical Chemistry in Moscow, took notice. Deryagin, largely driven by his own aspirations of a Nobel Prize, collaborated with Fedyakin and incorporated his research into his own scientific work. Deryagin's lab confirmed that the substance at the bottom of the glass tube was indeed denser and exhibited unique properties when compared to normal liquid water. This modified water boiled at a higher temperature of more than 150 degrees Celsius, froze at a lower temperature of 40 degrees Celsius, expanded more when heated, and refracted light differently when compared to ordinary water. In addition, it was observed to have the viscosity of close to maple syrup. Perhaps most importantly, Deryagin believed that this new form of water was somehow comprised of polymerized water, which he dubbed polywater and would therefore be the most thermodynamically stable form of water with the potential to modify all other water that it came into contact with. Still, Deryagin could not produce enough polywater to verify its chemical and molecular makeup, which, in hindsight, should have alerted him to the problems behind his work. In 1966, Deryagin finally got the chance to present his findings at a scientific conference in Nottingham, England. However, the response was initially lackluster, with minimal interest shown by Western scientists. Lucky for Deryagin's dreams of international acclaim, however, Brian Pethica, the director of the Unilever Research Laboratory, was among the few scientists who expressed interest and later attempted to confirm Deryagin's results. Returning to his laboratory, Pethica and his team diligently followed Deryagin's instructions to generate modified water. After three years, they successfully replicated Deryagin's findings. However, just like Deryagin, the team encountered difficulties in determining the chemical composition of the fluid beyond the presence of hydrogen and oxygen, as their instruments were unable to detect sufficient quantities of the modified water. Nevertheless, employing the same techniques as the Soviet scientists, they confirmed that the liquid exhibited greater expansion than ordinary water and possessed a thick, gel-like consistency. Pethica and his team harbored some doubts, however, about the explanation behind polywater, as they initially believed that the new substance might result from the leaching of silicates from the glass tube. Despite their reservations, their belief in polywater led them to go ahead and publish their findings in the esteemed scientific journal Nature. The publication served as a catalyst that drew the attention of American scientists to this intriguing discovery. As news of the discovery spread in the United States, Deryagin's aspirations for a Nobel Prize suddenly seemed attainable. The esteemed scientist J.D. Bernal was, like many others, an initial skeptic churn believer and hailed it as, quote, the most significant physical chemical discovery of the late 20th century.
By 1969, Polywater rose to prominence in the Western scientific community and became a household name as primarily American audiences became mystified by the idea that water had a new form, which was pushed more by magazines and newspapers than actual scientific data. During the height of the polywater era, the public speculated on several potential uses and applications for polywater based on its claimed unique properties. For example, polywater's high viscosity and adhesive properties sparked interest in its potential as a lubricant. It was proposed that polywater could be used in various mechanical systems, such as bearings or gears, to produce friction and enhance performance. In addition, the higher boiling point and lower freezing point of polywater also suggested that it might be useful for energy storage applications. Researchers speculated that polywater could be employed in thermal energy storage systems, where its unusual properties could help improve efficiency. Finally, due to its unique density and surface tension, polywater was proposed as a potential agent for filtration and purification processes. It was believed that polywater could selectively remove contaminants or separate substances based on the molecular properties. Still, others thought polywater was inherently dangerous and a potential weapon. This belief stemmed from the fact that polywater should have been more thermodynamically stable than normal liquid water and would therefore convert all liquid water it came into contact with into polywater. Many thought water could be the cause behind the decaying of the transatlantic phone cables, cable networks that connect the US to Europe. If used correctly, many believe polywater could end all life on Earth by effectively converting the oceans and the entire water cycle into polywater. The Soviet origins of polywater also didn't help its popularity, as it rose to prominence in the middle of the Cold War. Growing public fear of Soviet dominance in polywater research led to fears of a polywater gap with the Soviets, echoing past gaps with the Soviets in bomber aircraft and nuclear weapons. By 1969, the CIA was monitoring polywater research by its Cold War rival, and the Wall Street Journal reported the Pentagon was, quote, bankrolling efforts to push U.S. polywater technology ahead of the Soviet Union's. Despite all this fanfare, few had actually looked past the promise of polywater to the truth. Aside from Pethika, almost no other respected scientist had actually verified the existence of polywater. Soon, this fact would catch the attention of one of the most respected research facilities in the United States, Bell Labs. Polywater, once hailed as a revolutionary discovery, faced increasing criticism from scientific leaders after the excitement of the late 1960s. The process of de debunking this supposed new form of water began with the initial wave of enthusiasm surrounding its reported properties. Polywater was claimed to possess extraordinary characteristics such as a higher boiling and freezing point, increased viscosity, and superior solvent abilities compared to regular water. However, upon closer examination, doubts about the validity of these claims emerged. One fundamental reason scientists doubted the existence of polywater was the transient nature of water's hydrogen bonds. The fleeting duration of these bonds prevented the formation of the extensive chain of water molecules necessary for polywater to exist. Nevertheless, the claims garnered interest among scientists, prompting a flurry of experiments and studies aimed at confirming polywater's unique properties. As researchers attempted to replicate the reported properties of polywater, inconsistencies started to surface. It became apparent that some of the alleged 
attributes could be attributed to impurities and contaminants present in the samples. Trace amounts of various substances in water, including organic solvents, were found to mimic the behavior and characteristics attributed to polywater. Interestingly, despite mounting evidence of contamination, the proponents of polywater vehemently denied any impurities, a clear symptom of pathological science taking hold. Dennis Rousseau, a scientist at Bell Labs, took it upon himself to disprove the idea of polywater. In a rather unconventional approach, he engaged in a vigorous handball game with his colleagues, collecting his own sweat for analysis. Rousseau discovered that his sweat possessed the exact same properties as polywater. This intriguing finding, considering that sweat consisted primarily of water with slight impurities, strongly suggested that water was merely normal water tainted by organic molecules. Rousseau famously quipped that polywater was 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, highlighting the role of impurities in its purported properties. Subsequently, a more rigorously controlled phase of research unfolded, which consistently failed to reproduce the production of polywater. Chemical analysis of the polywater samples unveiled contamination with other substances, accounting for the observed changes in melting and boiling points. Electron microscopy examinations further revealed the presence of tiny particles from various solids, such as silica and phospholipids, providing an explanation for the increased viscosity of polywater. Crucially, when scientists repeated the experiments using meticulously clean glassware, the anomalous properties of polywater vanished. Even the researchers who initially championed polywater conceded its non-existence. In August of 1973, Deryagin, the Soviet scientist who was credited with popularizing polywater, published an article acknowledging that the anomalous properties of polywater should be attributed to impurities present in normal liquid water, rather than the existence of polaramic water molecules. Theoretical considerations also raised doubts about polywater's plausibility. The laws of thermodynamics indicated that polywater's higher boiling point implied greater stability, suggesting that all water on Earth should have spontaneously converted into polywater, rather than just a fraction of it. Richard Feynman humorously pointed out the absurdity of polywater by suggesting that if polywater were real, there should exist organisms capable of consuming water and excreting polywater, thereby using the energy released from the process for survival. Polywater's rise to prominence was eventually overshadowed by the rigorous scientific scrutiny and debunking of its existence. The initial excitement and subsequent skepticism surrounding polywater exemplified the scientific process at work, emphasizing the importance of rigorous experimentation, critical thinking, and theoretical consistency in evaluating extraordinary claims. The case of polywater offers valuable lessons about pathological science where both scientists and the public are so eager for something to be true that they overlook its flaws. This phenomenon can be observed in the rise and fall of polywater, which exhibited four common traits of pathological science. First, the initial excitement and fascination surrounding polywater played a crucial role in perpetuating pathological science. Finding such extraordinary properties in such a ubiquitous substance quickly captured the attention of scientists and the general public leading researchers to potentially overlook flaws or biases in their pursuit of validating its existence. Second was a lack of reproducibility. During the polywater scandal, different laboratories obtained conflicting results, casting doubt on the validity of polywater's existence. Such inconsistencies can indicate experimental errors, contamination, or other factors that undermine the reliability of the findings. 
Third, pathological science often relies on flawed or biased methodologies. In the case of polywater, subsequent investigations revealed flaws in the original studies, including contamination during sample handling and inadequate purification techniques. These methodological flaws comprise the credibility of the purported properties of polywater. Fourth and finally, resistance to contrary evidence is another notable trait of pathological science. Despite mounting contradictory evidence, some proponents of polywater initially resisted the notion that impurities were responsible for its reported characteristics. This resistance demonstrates how beliefs can persist even in the face of compelling contradictory findings. Pathological science is, unfortunately, a recurring occurrence due to inherent human flaws. Although science aims to be objective, our human nature often hinders that objectivity. The case of polywater highlights how scientific data can be misconstrued when belief overrides actual evidence. It's worth noting that the media played a large role in propagating the polywater myth, which they knew would sell due to many cultural mystifications with water and water's properties. Polywater, of course, seemed to justify those beliefs. Sensationalized reports and exaggerated claims in the media further amplified the image of polywater, fueling public intrigue. By studying the case of polywater, scientists have gained valuable insights into the characteristics and dangers of pathological science. It serves as a cautionary tale, emphasizing the importance of revising beliefs based on new evidence. If we fail to do so, then the whims of human judgment can take precedence over the objectivity science strives to emulate. Then we can have no science at all. Stay tuned for the next episode of Science Under Scrutiny, where we will continue our two-part discussion of pathological science and delve into the N-Rays scandal in the early 20th century. This scandal serves as another illustration of how pathological science can blind us to the true nature of the natural world. Mm -hmm.